Good evening and welcome to This Week in Football from the makers of Low Limit Football. I am your host, Joe Ucello, and joining me tonight is my co-host, Mr. Roberto Rojas, as we kick off our World Cup preview shows tonight featuring Group A of the 2022 World Cup. Roberto, this is an interesting group for me. It uh, starts out with the co- with the host, Qatar, uh, leads in with Ecuador, Senegal, and Netherlands to round out the group. Um, what are your thoughts on this group real quick? Yeah, first of all, you know, I'm glad that we're right in the, into the season of the World Cup. We're literally just days, weeks away from, from the start of this, and we get it right off the bat, as it is always in tradition, well, since 2006, I believe, with the host playing the first game against Ecuador, and then two powerhouses in Senegal, the, the reigning African Cup of Nations champions, and the Netherlands, the historical team from European football and definitely in, in world football, and yeah, it's it's a very open group. And, you know, I think obviously in our experts, and it was really interesting to get their take on all of it, it it's hard to pick, man. It really is. I mean, it can go either way because, you know, you have so much tradition in there, but you also have the mystique of playing the host. And you know how they always want to go and, and showcase themselves to the world, especially, you know, when it's the first one like Qatar is doing. But, yeah, I mean, overall, like, you know, first few words that I can give on this group, very open, very, very open. And, uh, you know, I'm excited to, to really get into it with our experts. Myself as as well. This, uh, this is an intriguing group. Like you said, we have the African champion in Senegal. We have one of the powerhouses in Netherlands. Obviously, the, the Qataris hosting this World Cup the first time it's been hosted in a Middle Eastern nation, uh, which, uh, you know, has had its controversy, but at the same time, um, has been uh, something of a spectacle to, to get together. And then Ecuador, uh, who also you know came with its own uh, controversy, but certainly a team that we thought four years ago might have had a ch- you know had a challenge, uh, did not get there four years ago, but is there now and uh, ready to take uh, take on the hosts in the opening game. So let's jump right into it. Our first uh, guest we had was Wail Jabir. The uh, he's a journalist in uh, in the Middle East and covers Asian football in the AFC. So without further ado, to preview the host Qatar for the 2022 World Cup, Wael Jabir. And joining us now on This Week in Football to help us preview Group A of the 2022 World Cup, the host nation of the 2022 World Cup, Qatar, we have with us Wael Jabir, uh, Asian football journalist joining us. Wael, welcome back to the show. It's great to speak with you again. I want to open up. Uh, this is going to be strictly a, a Qatari national team type of discussion as opposed to the last time we spoke um, where we talked more about um, you know hosting the World Cup. So let's talk about the Qatari national team and your ties to Qatari football. Well, thank you for having me again. And yeah, I look forward to really talking about Qatar. It's a team that I've followed for a number of years, long before this whole hosting the World Cups, long before this current generation of players has come together. So I have followed their journey. I've, I've been to Qatar, of course, numerous times. And yeah, uh, kind of intrigued and excited about what they could do in their first World Cup. Now, obviously, this is their first ever World Cup. And we're going to go back into when they obviously was awarded the World Cup back in 2010. I think there was a lot of controversy because obviously this was a country that had never been to a World Cup until then. Uh, Obviously the first World Cup in the Middle East. But of course, you look at kind of the history in the last 12 years, obviously participating in Asian Cup. I think they participated in three, if I'm not mistaken, since they hosted the, sorry, since they got the the World Cup uh, awarded to them and now hosting it. Um, they won it in 2019. Obviously, are the reigning Asian champions, as we as we forget, as we um, remember. They have hosted other tournaments, such as the FIFA Arab Cup, where they finished third. Participated in other tournaments to get themselves ready for this this big event, like the Copa America, like the Gold Cup. So, well, I just wanted to really, you know, ask, you know, how have you seen this kind of development and and really this whole notion of evolution of Qatari football from the time that they got awarded the World Cup back in 2010 to now, literally just months before the start of the tournament. Yeah, I'd like to kind of run things back to just a year after they were awarded the World Cup because a, that's a good point of comparison because in 2011, just a year after being awarded the World Cup, they hosted the Asian Cup. And at that time... Yeah, they were knocked out at the quarterfinals against Japan. And just basically a quick look at the team at the time and the makeup of it. Of course, it was a completely different side. Uh, back then, they were 
they were led by the late Bruno Mezzo, so uh, legendary coach, of course. Uh, but if you look at that team and compare to the team they've had now, almost, of course, everyone is no longer in the team. Probably the exception is a goalkeeper, Saddle Sheep, who was at the time a backup goalkeeper, was 20. Now he's one of the veterans, 32. Uh, but the, the idea is uh, not to compare names, but actually uh, how that team was formed and how the current team is formed. So back in 2011, the team had actually quite a lot of naturalized players. Uh, their top scorers back at the time were uh, Sebastian Soria, of course, uh, Uruguayan origins, uh, Fabio Cesar, the Brazilians as well. So it was a team which was uh, very much kind of uh, a lot of people now maybe kind of stereotype Qatar as a country with which has lots of naturalized players, but uh, the strategy, the way they've gone about things has, has completely changed compared to 2011. Players like Soria, like Fabio Cesar, like Rodrigo Tabata, those are players who have come to Qatar in their mid to late 20s, and then they were they were naturalized at a, an old age just purely to play for the, for the national team. Uh, when you look at the current Qatar team, Obviously, it still has uh, a sort of a multicultural background. Uh, lots of players do not come from, uh, let's say, Qatari parents or grandparents. Uh, however, the difference is, if you look at, I would say, the 23 or 26, I guess we're going to have 26 player squads this World Cup. If you look at the current squad, you'll find that many of those players were either born in Qatar or uh, immigrated to Qatar with their families at a very young age for non-footballing reasons. So in one way or another, they, they did grow up in Qatar. Uh, of course, there are a couple of exceptions. You have Pedro Miguel, uh, the Portuguese right back. You have players like Bolam Khoukhi, the Algerian, uh, Karim Boudiaf as well from Algerian origins. So, But the, the vast majority of those players are, uh, in a way, homegrown. Uh, the other difference is, obviously, those players have mostly come through the Aspire Academy. And interestingly, the Aspire Academy predates being awarded the World Cup. So the Aspire Academy was set up right around 2004. Uh, their current coach, Felix Sanchez, joined around 2006. Um, he's basically been leading more or less the same group of players through the ranks. So he's managed them at under 19, under 23, and now managing the, the first team for a number of years. So you see that this is a group that they know each other very well. Uh, their coach understand them almost to perfection. And on top of that, they've, of course, not even, like, they've not even been released to play league football as as compared to all the other teams in the in the World Cup. They've actually been in camp since June, no league football for any of them. So it's almost too much familiarity, if, if you could say so. You know, looking looking forward now into the group, obviously the hosts of, of the World Cup are going to open the Group A, they're going to play the first match on November 20th now against Ecuador. And and looking at the teams that they're slated against here with Ecuador, the Netherlands, and Senegal, um, there's a lack of familiarity uh, for Qatar versus these other teams. Uh, they've only faced um, Qatar, I'm sorry, they've only faced Ecuador three times overall in their history. They've never faced Senegal, they've never faced the Netherlands. Um, how do you see this group uh, playing out? You know, there's always a, a bit of a boost for the home side when, when they host a World Cup. Uh, so I do expect something of a, of a boost for Qatar playing at home in this particular tournament. Also, we're talking about the Asian champions here. This is not just some, some team that was just put together. These are the defending Asian champions. So how do you see this group uh, playing out uh, with these other teams that they might not be familiar with? Yeah, it is. Uh, it is really an interesting, uh, an interesting group because obviously, uh, let's not forget that uh, Senegal as well. You know, they're, I guess Senegal are African champions. So you know, you're looking at at a very strong group. Uh, Netherlands, I mean, like you know, Netherlands are always the Netherlands. So it is going to be a tough group. Uh, however, uh, I think a lot of people overlook Qatar, despite as you mentioned being Asian champions. A lot of people think, you know, obviously they are. I guess the third lowest ranked team in the competition. I think only Saudi Arabia and Ghana are ranked below them. So that's reason for a lot of people to overlook Qatar. Uh, home support, yes, but again, I think it could be uh, a double-edged sword. Uh, obviously, being a squad that has been has had their entire careers geared towards this World Cup, and then going in and you know taking on to the pitch in front of I guess going to be 60, 70, 80 thousand fans at the opening game. So that is a lot of pressure, uh, but Iraq and Qatar have been mentally prepared. Uh, obviously, they have uh, 
they have adapted to playing against completely different uh, playing styles. They've played in the Copa America. They've played in the CONCACAF Gold Cup. They've played in the European qualifiers. So I think, yeah, apart from Africa, I guess they've played all over the world. Now, looking at some of these players that I think the entire world are going to be definitely looking forward to in, in Qatar, I had the pleasure of seeing some of these players when I saw them in the Copa America. And, you know, I think some big names that I've enjoyed watching was the likes of Akhar Nassif and, and um, Alamed Ali as well, but among many other players. But, you know, really, while I do wanted to ask, you know, how do you feel as if, though, this team will set up under... Uh, Felix Sanchez, you know, what kind of style that we might get from this Qatar side and, and overall as well. I mean, I know that the Qatari league is certainly a league that definitely attracts a lot of people around the world because of its huge financial boost. But is there a case that maybe some of these players after this World Cup, especially if they do impress, do go abroad and, and try it out in, in bigger European leagues? Or do you feel as, as if, you know, regardless of what happens, that they'll, they'll definitely stay in the comfort of their Qatari league. Uh, it's an interesting one. I'll start from the last point. And obviously just uh, largely due to the makeup of this team and the way it has been developed. Uh, most of those players came to the Aspire Academy and the Aspire Academy has a network of clubs across Europe. So many of those players have either played in Austria, Belgium or Spain, which are the three countries where Aspire Academy has kind of affiliated clubs. So, however, uh, of course, in Spain, it's is not a top division. I think most of them have played in Cultural Leonesa, which is, I guess, in the second division in Spain. Uh, likewise, uh, they've played in, in Las Clins in, in Austria. Uh, so, they've had some sort of European experience, most of the players there, albeit at lower levels. Uh, the second point being that uh, the age of those players, I think not many of the players in the Qatar squad are below 25, 24. So again, uh, begs the question of whether they'd be wanting to, to go abroad or where there'd be interest in them going to Europe at, uh, at a little bit of uh, kind of older ages. Uh, that being said, you still, yes, definitely have players. You mentioned the two, Akram Afif and Al-Mayz Ali, uh, both of them 25 and 26. So a good age to play in Europe, especially both of them having already uh, experience playing in Europe and having proven themselves. Yeah, so so yeah, again, obviously there are other players uh, within the squad who are quite interesting. Uh, the way that uh, Felix Sanchez sets up his team is uh, obviously he he comes from the from the Barcelona academy. However, his style of play is anything but uh, Barcelona like. He likes to set up himself his teams uh, defensively. He plays with five in the back. Uh, he sees position almost in all games. Uh, they've won the Asian Cup with a 49% average position throughout the competition. They've won the final 3-1 with 39% position against Japan. They've, uh, they almost never have more than 50% position in any game. So he knows how to absorb pressure. He knows basically his teams know how to hit on the counter. Uh, I guess the only variation people can expect from this team during the World Cup is how do they set up their midfield and attack. So at times they've set it up with three in midfield and two up front or vice versa. So kind of two central midfielders and two wide men and, and Almoz Ali up front. Uh, but other than that, I think he's, uh, he has a very settled uh, back five. He's a very settled approach to it. Don't expect them to... If you, if you like expansive football, if you like position-based football, don't, don't expect Qatar to entertain you. But if you're one like myself or... For the defensive and counter-attacking game, then Qatar are a team for you. And obviously, I think obviously this World Cup is one for you know for the entire world to impress and and to see people and different players, I guess, um, and get on their radar. I guess you know what are some of the other players that you think could indeed stand out from this Qatari side and could impress uh, on this team if they were to do well in their own home World Cup. I quite like Abdul Karim Hassan. Uh, originally a left back, he's been converted to play in left center back, but he still is kind of the player who who goes forward, who attacks, who who is a threat going forward. Uh, obviously, he's the he's the 2019 Asian Asian Player of the Year. So quite uh, some quality to him. He's 29 at the moment, uh, plays for Assad, and I think he's a player that. Uh, 
could either impress, uh, but he is also prone to to the odd reckless moment. So you could see him, you know, because he's the red card in the World Cup if he doesn't keep his nerves. But he's he's an exciting player either way. Uh, also worth looking at uh, Bassam Al Rawi, another centre back who's 24, uh, brilliant set piece taker, uh, scored twice from free kicks in the Asian Cup. So that's a player to keep an eye on. And of course, yeah, uh, on top of that, you have Hassan Al-Haidus. He's the captain, 31. Uh, plays in midfield sometimes uh, as a right winger, quite composed and at the same time a talented player. So I think these are some of the names outside of the Akram Afif and Amal to look out for. So, Wail, I, w- I want to jump in here now and get to the prediction part of of the interview and ask you, um, obviously, given the difficulties of Group A, uh, like you said, the the African champion in Senegal, uh, a Dutch national team that's always difficult to face, and uh, and a tough Ecuadorian side that uh, you know just fell short uh, qualifying for 2018, but is here now in 2022. What um, what's your prediction for how Qatar will do in this tournament? Will they make it out of this group, and how how far will they go? I think key for them is to keep their nerves against Ecuador in the opening game. Obviously, opening games, it's a cliche, but opening games are always difficult, uh, even more difficult when you're playing against in front of your home fans. So if they could get away with the three points against Ecuador, this could be huge for them. Uh, a point could set them up for, for an intriguing game against Senegal. And I think uh, whichever way it goes, they will need to have at least four points before they face Netherlands in the last game. So should they do that, then I think uh, they're in with a chance to to advance to the next round. But yeah, they'll have to start strong. There is there is no two ways about it. Yeah, and 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 looking forward, if let's say they do get that strong start and they make a very very deep run in the tournament, maybe even win it, um, what would that win for Qatari foot? What would that mean for Qatari football? And and I'll even ask you kind of a side question because with three Middle Eastern teams in this tournament with Iran and Saudi Arabia and all three in, I would say difficult groups. Um, what would it mean for football in the Middle East? I think, uh, obviously, having a, a home World Cup, obviously, Iran and Saudi Arabia are actually geographically the two closest countries to, to Qatar, aside from Bahrain. So for them as well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be like very much a home World Cup. And they will all, all three of them will have uh, strong support. Uh, one thing is, uh, there is obviously... Qatar is in Group A, whereas Iran is in Group B. So should they both make it to the to the round of 16? If one of them tops the group, I guess there could be an, probably the first ever Middle East clash in, in a World Cup. So that could be intriguing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all in all, honestly, I think it's uh, the, whole, the whole three teams are well set up to do well, despite difficult groups. I think it's, uh, it's a perfect opportunity for them to demonstrate how far football is getting in, in the Middle East. So, yeah, I'm excited for it. I'm looking forward to seeing all three teams do well. And honestly, regardless of how far do they go, I think the, the key thing is uh, they put in a good account of themselves in front of big teams. Obviously, Iran is going to play against England. Uh, Saudi Arabia is going to play against Argentina, Mexico, and Poland as well. So, like, you know, uh, no disrespect to the U.S. <laughs> so, yeah, strong teams, really. Uh, so let's see what they can do. And certainly a big challenge uh, for any team going to uh, Qatar for the 2022 World Cup. Wail, I want to thank you for joining us and helping us break down the host country as uh, teams get set to travel to Qatar for the 2022 World Cup. All the best uh, to you, my friend, and good luck to Qatar in the World Cup. Thank you very much, guys. And special thanks to Wail Jabir for joining us on the show to preview Qatar. Next up. We have Martin Benitez joining us to preview Ecuador. Their opponents for coming up for the opening match of the 2022 World Cup. So without further ado, the Martin Benitez interview. And joining us now on This Week in Football from Ecuador Heroes, Martin Benitez. Martin, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on and help us look at Ecuador in Group A as they head to Qatar for the 2022 World Cup. I'd like to open up with a quick question of um, your tie, obviously, with Ecuador Heroes. We know that you cover... um, Ecuadorian football. I'd like to know how you got started in that and your ties to covering the football. Yeah, thank you, Joe. I'm glad to be here. Um, well, I was born in Ecuador, in Quito, Ecuador, the capital. When I was two years old, I I went to the U.S. I lived there. I grew up there. And after I came, did university here in Quito. I got my coaching license in the Ecuadorian Football Federation, the FEF. So I have my own academy here, my own brand, my own soccer brand. 
So, you know, obviously looking into Ecuador as a whole and really focusing on to the World Cup, obviously this is a side that, you know, I wouldn't say had surprised a lot of us, but certainly, you know, heading into qualification for the World Cup, they did well beyond expectation, uh, finishing fourth, got really big wins under new manager Gustavo Alfaro. I say new, but he's been there for, for quite some time. But really, over the course of the last four years, it's been kind of up and down, you would say. This is a team that went through four different managers before landing on Alfaro. You know, obviously, this is also a side that has been to World Cups recently uh, in the last, in, in this century, went to the first one in 2002, finished in the group stage. 2006, their best ever finish in the round of 16, and their last appearance back in Brazil in 2014. So they're back at the biggest party ever uh, for football. And I just want your thoughts on how you have assessed kind of this Ecuadorian side uh, over the last four years, you know, failing to make the World Cup in Russia. If you remember, uh, and Joe obviously likes to talk about it here, that they went unbeaten in their first four games before flatting, falling flat on their face and not making that World Cup. But then they got the redemption and made it back. So I just want your thoughts on how you have really assessed this this side, especially, you know, when you look at a lot of these players. And I recall back to their U20 side that made it to to the uh, to the 2019 U20 World Cup finished in third, so you know it's really all the way up for this Ecuador side. Yeah, it, it's it's all happening so fast in the time span of yeah four years. Um, the 2018 qualifiers that was tragic the way that ended. We started off so well, but at the end there was a lot of problems with politics, the players, the coach. So. Yeah, it was definitely disappointing that we had, um, I don't know if you remember, Jordi Cruyff came in for a while. He never had one training session and he was here for six, seven months. So yeah, the FEF was in a disaster until Gustavo Alfaro came and he's really formed, molded this 2019 third place U20 squad, Ecuador, with some of the veterans in our squad. For example, Ener Valencia, Angel Mena, Alexander Dominguez, the goalkeeper, and with a lot of our youth, this team is, I'm looking at them as a favorite to get out of the groups. Now, Martino, I want to jump in here because I want to look at the group of Group A, and 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 like Roberto alluded, alluded to for 2018, I distinctly remember the, the conversation we had, it was with Tim Vickery um, from uh, Brazil, and I asked him with Ecuador as well as they were doing, who is not going to make the World Cup because it looked like Ecuador was getting in, and and like we said, the, the you know that they they didn't qualify. But obviously this year much different, finishing uh, two points ahead of Peru and uh, and uh, currently qualified for the FIFA World Cup. So my question to you is: looking at this group, um, they draw the short straw. They draw match number one in the entire World Cup facing the hosts in Qatar, a team that they've faced uh, three times over the years, most recently in 2018. But then they, they you look ahead to the, uh, the, the other two teams. Uh, the Netherlands they faced a couple times. Qatar, I'm sorry, and uh, Senegal they faced a couple times. Um, both very difficult matches. Qatar is going to be a difficult match as well, given that they're the, they're the Asian champions. How do, you, um, how do you see this group playing out? Because I think this is, for me, one of the most difficult groups to predict in this World Cup. Yeah, I agree. This group is, it, it's one of the groups of deaths, in my opinion. You have the host country, Qatar, the African champions, like you said, Senegal, Netherlands, a very strong European side, and and Ecuador, who, quite frankly, we don't know which two are going to get out of that group right now. There's no clear favorite, I think. You know, Martin, I really wanted to go into that because I wanted to ask, you know, kind of, you know, the pressures about this this really big game you know obviously it's always a joy to play in the world cup but with the entire world really watching this game in particular it's always the ones that everyone likes to watch doesn't matter how big a football fan you are of course a lot of us want to watch the 64 games but obviously the two big ones are obviously the first game and of course the final i just wanted your thoughts on how you kind of really assess these ecuadorian players some of them who maybe never played in the world cup or it's been a while that they played in a world cup kind of the pressure and really just, you know, the spotlight being on them to the entire world for, for this first game. Yeah, it's historical. It's the first time ever Ecuador gets to play an opening match of a World Cup. And there's also a statistic that says the host country has never lost the opening match. So it's it's a crazy match. Uh, these players, um, I have a lot of faith in Gustavo Alfaro. I think he's 
he's more of a man manager and in that sense I think he he has molded these players he's matured to them and quite little time players like Incapié, Moises Caicedo, Gonzalo Prata they're 20 21 years old but I think they'll be going into the World Cup with more maturity than I think people would give them credit for if you understand because we're the second youngest team in the World Cup that's another factor so yeah I have a lot of faith in them I feel it's gonna be tough man if that group if we end up winning that Qatar game the first match that would be huge that it's historic it definitely isn't historic especially the fact that you said that you know a, a host team has never lost their first game at the at the World Cup, so it'll definitely be a lot of pressure on both ends of both Ecuador and Qatar. Now, obviously, going into these players, you know, you look at some of the names that you had already mentioned, like Ener Valencia, like Angel Mena, um, obviously uh, Alexander Dominguez, the goalkeeper, but some of the names that have kind of really flourished over the last couple of years, some of them we've also seen in MLS with Cifuentes and and Palacios and many others, uh, Leandro Campana as well. I think the two names that have kind of really been on the front foot at least here watching it in England are the two guys in Brighton or well, three guys now at Brighton in this case uh Pervis Estupian uh Moises Caicedo and Jeremy Sarmiento I mean you know are these indeed the players to watch for this Ecuador side I mean I think everyone is really excited about Moises Caicedo especially given his links to Manchester United recently and how he's kind of really flourished on that Brighton team is he the one to watch out for, or is there another name or some other names that could indeed be in this World Cup squad that he could have a, a great World Cup and could indeed flourish into another big European team? Yeah, I love that question, Roberto. I think, in my honest opinion, Moises Caicedo is our best player, and he will have the best performance in the World Cup. Um, he's our box-to-box midfielder, runs defense, offense, everything. And if you've watched some Brighton games he does the same thing in the EPL. He's, he's right now fourth place and running that midfield for Brian. So I'm really proud of him. And he's only 20 years old. But the other thing, we're blessed with other players. For example, Piero Incapié, 20-year-old center back, uh, Bayern Leverkusen. He's another whew, tremendous player, tremendous center back. And players like Gonzalo Plata, Jeremy Sarmiento, Pervis Estupiñan, they're players who play in and out in Europe. So... We just have to link up well and play our game. We've played good in, in World Cup qualifiers, and hopefully we can translate that to, to the big stage. Incapié, also 20 years old, um, and, and already has uh, has 19 caps already for the national team, so certainly a player to watch out for, to say the least. Um, now, I want to I wanna get into our prediction uh, segment here, Martin, and I want to ask you, where what do you think would be a good result for Ecuador? Again, like we said, this is this is kind of a group of death. This is no clear-cut winner or second place uh, in this particular uh, round. Um, but this Ecuadorian side is, for me, uh, on the younger side, but but certainly well experienced. Um, what would what's your prediction in terms of how this team will do at this World Cup, both in the group and if they get out? Yeah, so we would have to take it game by game. First match against Qatar, meaning Senegal and Netherlands will play the, the, the other first match. Um, depending on that game, if there's a winner out of Senegal and Netherlands, I think they, they'll get a spot in. I'm not saying first or second, but they'll probably pass. Mm-hmm. So if Ecuador can manage winning that Qatar game, which in my opinion is easier than Senegal or Netherlands, given the utmost respect to Qatar, but we would have to capitalize on the first match for sure. Um, if that doesn't happen, try to get a result against Senegal and Netherlands, I find quite difficult. And it, it all depends the first match in both scenarios, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I would agree with you for sure. But let's, uh, you know, moving forward, just thinking about this Ecuadorian side, uh, you know, winning this World Cup for them or even even getting out of the group, I think, is going to be, you know, not a Herculean feat, but certainly big. But winning this World Cup would be something extraordinary what would that mean to the people of ecuador the the players and and to you personally of course being of ecuadorian descent to win the world cup well i'll tell you we've only made it to round of 16 um 2006 we lost to a david beckham peak uh free kick in the second half 1-0 against england but that's the far as we've ever gone i i think if we get out of group stage it's historic And if we can get into the top eight, even better. And obviously, but winning a World Cup, I couldn't even 
personally, I couldn't even comprehend it. Like, I was talking with some buddies the other day, and one of them asked me the same question. Oh, yeah, we would have a three-day holiday. And one of my other buddies says, we would have, like, a three-month holiday. Yeah. So I, I, it would really be – Ecuador is a very small country, 17 million people. Um, to win a World Cup, it would definitely be a dramatic change from pre-World Cup winning and post. So it would just be total ecstasy. Yeah, I was going to say three days is not going to be enough to celebrate a World Cup. I, I think for any country, you know, never mind just Ecuador. I think anywhere would, would be too short. So, um, Martin, I want to thank you for joining us and helping us break down Ecuador as they travel to Qatar to face the hosts in Group A. Um, all the best to you, and we look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Roberto. Glad to be here and happy I get up out. And special thanks again to Martin Benitez for joining us on the show. Next up, we were joined by Amadi Tiam to preview Senegal as they get set to take on Netherlands to open the World Cup. So without further ado, the Amadi Tiam interview. And joining us now on This Week in Football to break down Senegal in Group A is football journalist Amadi Tiam. Amadi, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you back to preview Senegal again for another World Cup. Um, we were able to catch up with you in, um, for the 2018 World Cup, and here we are again. Um, so if we could refresh the memory of the listeners about your ties to Senegalese football. Yes. Um, well, thanks. First of all, thanks for having me on. Pleasure to be back with you guys uh, to discuss this in particular team that I so love and cherish um, and it's actually because of my own father my father's of Senegalese descent and I've actually lived there myself and ended up going there uh, in my I guess in my youth <laughs> I guess you'd say when I was about 19 ish I moved there for three years ended up playing soccer um, in the collegiate and then the professional circuit for U.S. Wacom so it was a a big part of my life football in general and football in, in Senegal in particular African football just has its own flavor um, as, as many parts of the world have their own flavor of football, um, I think it's just something that people need to kind of experience. And, and I'm sure we've gotten tastes at other World Cups, and you've seen African teams and the kind of flavor that they bring. And there's always a certain vibe. Um, and I really kind of embraced that, particularly when I was living there. Um, it was more than just the football. It was the camaraderie. It was the feeling around the game um, from just, you know, being in your local neighborhood and, and seeing how many people are playing that game compared to others. And, and you, as you guys know, soccer, football, whatever you want to call it, has very low equipment costs. So the, the access is limited. It's, it's very low. You know, you don't have to pay very much to get in. And that really matters to a lot of people in developing nations, um, one of which I would say is Senegal. So football is king, and it was something that I really kind of dove head in, dove head first in. And it's been very much a, a whirlwind of four years for Senegal. The last time that we spoke, we were talking about a team that had just qualified for their first World Cup in, what, 16 years when they made it to Russia. And then they ended up going into that group and only narrowly finishing uh, level on points with Japan, but couldn't advance the round of 16 because of a superior fair play record. That being said, though, that being <laughs> said, they still kept on with Elusi Sadi the manager, and they ended up going into the 2019 Africa Cup of Nations, losing in the final against Algeria. But then, two years later, at the well, three years later, you could say, at the last AFCON this year, actually, they ended up yep. going all the way and winning it against Egypt in on penalties, uh, probably giving them their biggest party, you would say, in, in the history of the country, winning their first ever AFCON uh, title. And then another rematch just a month later, against Egypt for a spot in the World Cup, defeating them on penalties as well. So just, it's been really a whirlwind of four years, like I had said. Um, you know, how have you really assessed the Senegalese side and just kind of the improvement and, and I guess now the expectation now given to this side heading into the World Cup? Um, I think it's been, a, it's been a roller coaster, so to speak. I mean, the last time that Senegal performed well in an AFCON really well, I believe it was 2002, and that was also the time that they performed really well, uh, or pre-2002, rather. It was time that they performed really well in, in the World Cup, you know, when they went there and showed people who they were. So I think there's a chance that we see a different side of Senegal this time. I think a more mature side, a team who's not at their first runaround, who's not their second go-around. They're, they're, they're committed to winning now after coming off that AFCON win. They know what it's like to win with this team, with this coach. Um, and I think that there's been a natural progression, especially for Senegalese football in general. I mean, from from just the local and, and national uh, football academies and the recognition on the global scale of Senegalese players, both 
abroad, not just in France anymore, but in other in other nations, particularly Germany and England, where you know they're really making a name for themselves and big money signings like Kali Dukulibali and Edu Mendy, who both won Afcon and both play at Chelsea together, have kind of spearheaded this sort of new look Senegal. I mean, look at Sadio Mane now at Bayern after winning almost everything there is to win at Liverpool. Um, I just feel like these players are now brand name. Uh, they, they have the experience of just being at these tournaments before, winning things, having a young core, but with people who you know like the Koulibaly's who can lead this team uh, with their own experience. And they have a, a manager in Cisse who has done it before himself. He's performed at the highest level and he's led them success before. I think they feel like there's a sore spot from the previous World Cup. Um, I feel like they deserve more. I think they believe that they deserve more. Um, and I think this is a case of redemption. I mean, not only for Senegal, but for Cisse as well. Um, I, if you guys remember, he missed a big penalty in the 2002 final defeat, you know? So, I don't know. I think that stings, and I think they have all point to prove. I, I've got to tell you, for me personally, and I know we're supposed to be unbiased. I mean, Roberto and I are going to root for the USA just because we were born here. But um, for me, Senegal is one of those teams that after watching them get hosed in the 2018 World Cup, and that's, and seriously, my opinion, that's what happened. They got hosed. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and looking at this team and the way they, they – you know, they gutted it out against Egypt in the AFCON final and then have to turn around right after and then beat them home and away, um, really come home on a, on a down one nil to, to win one nil and then go ahead and, and win penalties again against Egypt. The, the grit and determination, there's, you know, there's nothing not to love about this team. So I, for me, this is like one of my favorite teams to watch and one of my, one of the teams I'm definitely rooting for in, um, in this World Cup for sure. Uh, you know, but giving them Group A, we, we, you know, we're breaking down Group A. We're, we're talking to some of the other journalists, and and this is one of the toughest groups to pick because I think there's a lot of difficult spots here. You know, the Dutch are going to be difficult. Everyone knows that they're they're certainly well improved. They can score. They can manage the midfield. They can play well defensively. They're a solid team. Ecuador um, is another team that is is going to be tough to to battle. They they play a nice fast game, and and they're going to be difficult to meet. And then you've got the hosts in Qatar playing all their games at home. So the Senegal side is going to have a difficult time, in my opinion, going through this group. What are your thoughts on on Senegal? And what are your thoughts on this group overall for Group A? I think it's. I mean, I'm sure when the when the groups were announced, I'm sure the Senegalese were pleased with the draw. I mean, it could have been worse. Um, and I think that they they go into this with open eyes. There's no way that they're going to doubt any of these teams, particularly after they kind of failed to really live up to their best against Poland and Japan in the previous uh, World Cup. So it's not like they had these big, you know, marquee teams to beat, you know, but they're still household names. And it's something that people have to kind of take with a grain of salt. World Cups, anything can happen in one of these tournaments, you know, as we've all seen. Any team can beat any team. And I think that Qatar will be a dark horse in this because they're playing at home, because they have that, you know, it's, it's the home field advantage buoyed Russia last World Cup and see how far they got. So I think there's a chance that Senegal might be overlooked, and that could be good for them. They don't need to be the standout team in, the, in this group, and Netherlands, I think, will probably take that uh, recognition. So for them, it's a good draw. I think that they're able to kind of mosey into the group without drawing too much attention, but I think they expect a lot from themselves, and I think that they can get it for this group. And then certainly, obviously, looking at these players, it's kind of really a who's who, and we kind of already mentioned it just beforehand. Obviously, we have Edward Mendy in goal, who's been phenomenal at Chelsea. You look at the back line with the likes of Khalil Koulali, who we know has done so well at Napoli and is now transitioning it to Chelsea, but other big names such as uh, Balotore as well, who's playing at Milan. The midfield, you got the likes of Idrissi Dey, uh, Kuyate over there at Nottingham, you know, um, Matarsar over there at Tottenham. You got some players as well at, at, at Marseille. And then the front line, you also have the likes of Keita Balde, Sadio Mane, obviously a big one, Ismani Sar, mm-hmm. and, and so many big names really on this side. I mean, I just wanted to, to ask, you know, what do you feel is kind of the expectation of these players? You know, who do you feel is going to be the one that kind of has to stand out really for this side in order for them to progress into this World Cup? I think that people obviously put the mantle on Sadio Mane's shoulders, but, and I do believe he needs to have a very successful World Cup. I think he needs to be at his best. However, I think the people to watch are down the spine. I think it's Mendy, uh, Idrissa Gay, and honestly, Sheku Kuyate. He, he played a very big role uh, on the way to the AFCON title and just getting into the, the World Cup playoff victory, uh, which were both against uh, Egypt. So, just seeing the way that they've performed. And honestly, 
having had Kise, I think he's been at the helm for seven or eight years now. So having that core understand the way he wants to play and having them kind of marshal his, his, his orders on the field and having players he can trust, I think that spine will be crucial. Mendy, Koulibaly, Gay, and Kriate, all the way up to Mane even, will be the, the sort of the spine of the team, and they're going to really bolster what, what happens on the field. And I think that they can really control games in a way that they hadn't in previous years. That's kind of how they stormed their way to uh, remaining undefeated, I believe, in, in World Cup qualifying. Uh, sorry, AFCON qualifying. So, Amity, I want to jump in here now and get to your predictions, um, you know, for Senegal and how they'll do in this tournament. Um, for me, my my goal or my, you know, my heart prediction is that they win this group and they go in and destroy a second place England in the next round of the tournament. That would be just beautiful for me. But <laughs> I, I know it's, I'm asking a lot, but <laughs> it is what it is. So so I would love that. No, I, yeah, sign me up. So so aside from my insane prediction, what is your prediction for Senegal go, uh, going into this tournament? All right, my prediction. All right, well, this this is twofold. So, mm. first of all, there's where I want them to finish. Their best ever finish was quarterfinals in 2002. All right, like that's that was a peak moment in Senegalese football at the time. I think that they've kind of crested another, another wave here. And with this team, if they were not to get further than that, or at least achieve that same, uh, I guess, achieve that same placing, get to the quarterfinals, I think they would feel it'd be a disappointment. Um, I know that Cisse has a lot. Of, of I said of revenge as I said earlier on the mind and redemption possibly because they do feel like they deserve more last time around and I feel like they had a good enough team to do better but this team is better than them this team is far better and I think that they have the quality to really go further what my desire is is that they do make it to say the semis that would be that would make me extremely happy I wouldn't even need them to win just getting that far being amongst the top four teams in the tournament yeah I would love that but it's a long shot the quarterfinals seems like a fair their hedging effect and and remember we're not just talking about any team here we're talking about the african champion i mean this is this is not some slouch team that that we're discussing here so um yeah there's there's something to be said for that but having said that i know we asked you this question four years ago i'm going to ask it again and and i think the answer might be um i don't want to say different or better but but well it's going to be different because this is a team now that has an african cup of nations under their belt um, what would mm. what would a World Cup victory in the exact same year mean to the people of Senegal, to you, to the fans, and to the players? Oh man, I don't I don't think that the the country itself would shut down. It shut down for Afcon. I don't know if you saw some of those photos, but I mean, this as I said, football. You know, people live, breathe, and eat football over there. It's, it's definitely something that would create. I think that it would not only create a crazy parade and vibe and all that stuff and people would be happy, but it would push Senegal forward in terms of where they are in, in their development as a football nation. Um, I think it would be a landmark win, not only for Senegal, but for Africa, and it would be huge. And if any team can do it, it would be this team. Well, Amadi, I want to thank you for, for coming on and joining us and, and returning to us four years later to help us break down Senegal again. Um, you know I'm rooting for them. I've already made that pretty clear. Uh, so all the best to you, the best of luck to Senegal and the national team as they head to Qatar for the 2022 World Cup. And we look forward to having you back uh, after they make the uh, finals, at least, if not win the whole thing. Amen to that. Looking forward to it. And special thanks again to Amadi Tiam for joining us on the show. Last but not least, we were joined by Jaron Elshoff to preview the Netherlands as they get set to take on Senegal in this World Cup. So without further ado, the Jaron Elshoff interview. And joining us now on This Week in Football to preview the Netherlands as they enter Group A of the 2022 World Cup. Jaron Elshoff, uh, commentator for NOS Studios in the Netherlands. Jaron, welcome back. It is always a pleasure to have you on. I want to open up the questioning and, and talk about your ties to covering Dutch football. Um, I, I explain what you mean with my ties. Um, uh, how, how, how are you involved in covering uh, Dutch football? Oh, yeah. Well, let's take a look at the Dutch team then, because I'm the TV commentator of the Dutch team for national television here. So I do it mostly on television and uh, sometimes on radio. So I will be in Qatar for covering the the games on television against Ecuador and on the radio against Senegal and Qatar and then onwards in the knockout phase. And we'll do commentary of the the other games in, in, in the tournament. So I think 12, 13, 12 to 13 matches live. And further on, I do uh, Eredivisie, so the national competition, 
TV commentary and we make podcasts a lot and sometimes I have some spare time. <laughs> and certainly for that spare time you come on here and just looking at how obviously the Netherlands have really got into this World Cup, you know, it was unfortunate that, you know, it's always been a team that we've always been accustomed to seeing at World Cups, but we didn't see them four years ago in Russia. Having said that, this is a team that has really changed a lot. Um, obviously, as much as, as they change a lot of their players, they also change a lot of their managers. And they go back to the same manager that they had back in 2014 with Louis van Gaal. But looking at this team as a whole, Jerome, obviously they've topped their group in qualification, you know, losing just once to qualify for the World Cup. And I just wanted to ask you, how have you seen the evolution of this Dutch side, not only from a managerial perspective, um, you know, obviously speaking it from a player perspective, but just now the confidence and kind of the mood for this World Cup uh, happening in Qatar? Yeah, well, this is a generation that's been together uh, at the Dutch team now for a couple of years after the, yeah, we, we call it the dark years with no qualification for the Euros in 2016 and the World Cup in 2018. Uh, what was really important was that Ronald Koeman became Bond's, uh, the national team coach. Uh, in the Dutch, we call it Bond's coach. Um, and he made it more and more a group because there were some players that we knew they had quality, but they weren't in a in a good place at their club or uh, not yet mature enough to play on top level for the national team. But then Virgil came in those years, Virgil van Dijk, who was absolutely one of the most important defensive players of our team. And everybody can see that now. But he had some uh, startup problems before actually uh, Kuman came because in that period we also had uh, Louis van Gaal and uh, Danny Blind and who's hitting. And in that period, Virgil wasn't uh, good enough for the national team, Van Gaal thought so. And it was his, at his time at Celtic. And another very important player for the Kuman time is uh, Memphis Depay. Everybody knows, I think, the problems he had at Manchester United, but also everybody knew uh, how much talented he was. So, well, we said goodbye to the generation before. We said goodbye to Van Persie. We said goodbye to Robin, and then started building from 2018 on on a new team. And then when Frankie de Jong was added after Snyder said goodbye to the midfield, I think everybody uh, saw a, a new team, new confidence, new playing mode, but also the way they are together in in the Netherlands when they come together. It's a real, real strong group with lots of respect, no problems, and that's been different in the past. And and they built confidence and they got results. And now everybody thinks we maybe have a chance to go very deep into this tournament that's coming. So that's the short story of a long period, actually. They're certainly a very, very dangerous team. And wanting to jump in now because we want to look at the group stage here. And um, obviously, Group A, the, the host group, uh, it sets up, um, interestingly, for, to say the least, with Qatar, Ecuador, and Senegal in matched in with them. And there's a very huge lack of familiarity uh, for the Dutch in this group facing off on these other teams. In fact, they have only ever faced uh, the uh, Ecuador twice. Otherwise, they have never faced Senegal. They've never faced Qatar. You're looking at a group that has two regional champions in Qatar as the Asian champion and Senegal as the African champion. So this is, you know, on the surface, I would think that the, the Dutch are the best team in this group. But there is certainly some tricky spots in this one. Well, how do you, what are your thoughts on this group and how it shapes up for them? Yeah, well, it's it's. I think everybody knows that we're the favorite in this groups. Um, we don't know a lot of Qatar. Like we see them play friendly games. We know more about Ecuador and uh, much more about Senegal. But it's it will be interesting, like in every tournament, to see a, a European team uh, compete a, a team that's playing different football like they used to. Uh, normally, you see friendlies in, in front of tournaments against uh, against nations from that continent, but they're not playing it. But if I if I look at Van Gaal, I think he's mostly worried about the, the Senegal team. Um, yeah, everybody's talking about Mane, and Van Gaal always says, I wanted to have him when I was at Manchester United. So he says, well, we know him good, but they're a strong team. I think it's good that the, that it will be the opening match of the tournament for both in the group. Um, because if you look at mostly Qatar, that the, the the secrets Qatar will have are gone because it will be the third group match. So 
I, I think you, you they're not diving to be favorites in this group. I think they're lucky with this uh, draw and uh, and they're speaking it out. So uh, they're not really worried. And I'm I'm now uh, literally saying what the what the national coach is saying. I think he knows their favorite in the groups and they have to probably win all three games. That would be nice. Um, difficult will be probably in in physical football of also Ecuador and uh, and also Senegal. Um, but yeah, um, I'm not really worried. You guys for the Netherlands. I mean, we think. I mean, we're a little, also a little bit arrogant always when we do tournaments in this country. I, I mean, the fans are always arrogant. So they say they'll win the group easily, but I don't think it will be easily. But I think they have to win the group. Yeah, I mean, certainly they definitely have the players to really go and win this group and, and to go far. And I wanted to talk about that, Jerome, now in our segment about the players, because I think, you know, we are so accustomed to seeing these good players over the last four years, you know, with the likes of Memphis Depay scoring goals, Frankie de Jong, as we've seen during his time at Ajax and now at Barcelona, the same with Matthias de Ligt when he was at Ajax, now at Bayern Munich, but also what he did at Juventus. We know how good Virgil van Dijk is. We've seen that for the last couple of years as he has been one of the best centre-backs, if not the best centre-back in the world. You'll even look in goal with the likes of Jasper Silicon, kind of a, a veteran, you could say now, in, in goal. But I just wanted to really look at this at this team. And, and certainly, you know, we know the experience. There's always someone also coming up as well. Um, you know, I think definitely that's always been kind of the thing that the Dutch have always been known for is not only having yeah. good players, but also the ones that come up every four years or in any big tournament. So I just wanted to ask you about that. And really, who are those players that I think the world and I think, you know, so many people will be looking at this Dutch side that could indeed be a deciding factor, could help the Dutch go far in this World Cup? Yeah, well, uh, let's let's mostly talk about then the player that will that you will see maybe i don't think for the first time but uh, on this level because he's he's been playing in the euros but you're talking about Matthijs de Ligt i think he will not start for the netherlands and uh, the same is um up to stefan de Vrij. so there for years we always think that those two were our new defensive uh, partners with virgil maybe in between them but de Vrij and de Ligt in the Dutch team are always uh, under discussion. And now there's this young guy coming from Ajax called Jurjen Timber. He's 21 years old. He has nine international matches, but he's playing like he's like 30 years with lots of experience. He uh, is uh, fantastic with the ball. He's not that big, actually. He's one meter and uh, 79 centimeters. But he's fantastic, and um, because of that, he's, he play, he's playing with Ajax. Uh, Manchester United wanted him this summer, but Ajax uh, hold him. But I think he will go to a European top club, I think, maybe after the World Cup or next summer, because he's one of the best defensive players on the ball. Um, and he will keep the Ligt and the Frey out of the first 11. So uh, I... I don't know if it's a surprise for you because you said the Ligt, but uh, that will be the guy that everybody will talk about if you say younger player in the Dutch team. He's 21 years old. So you heard about him, I think, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, we, we were just uh, talking about that. And we have uh, we have heard about him and that he's uh, he's been linked to many teams. You think he is the next one? I know much high, you know much was made about Matthias de Ligt when he left. Uh, Ajax to go to Juventus, and we all know what Virgil Van Dijk brings. You, you've also got, you know, Man, you know Manchester City's Nathan Ake there as well, Stefan de Vrij yeah. uh, at Inter. I mean, there, there's so many good pieces there, uh, you know. But you think that he is going to supplant many of them and and be in that starting eleven when they face off in that first match? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think you can probably say that uh, we play with three central defenders. Uh, five at the back, if you want to see it like that, or 3-4-3. Three, three. And the three central defenders will be Jurian Timber, uh, Virgil van Dijk in the middle of them, and Nathan Ake, who's being a real good player in the in the Dutch uh, national team, will be on the left side because he's one of the left-footed uh, defenders, and we don't have many. So uh, you won't see the Licht, you won't see the Vrij if, if it uh, stays like this with injuries. Then on the right side, you will have Denzel Dumfries from Internationale, mm-hmm. who's actually... Uh, the only right uh, defensive player on that side, right winger, right, I don't know how you want to call it, 
uh, uh, I think he's almost a winger on that side because the competition for him is not much. There's, there's problems on that side who covers him if he's not there. And then on the left side, you have Daily Blind, who will uh, get the spot before Tyrell Malasia, who went to Manchester United. So it's it's lots of experience, but lots of football from the back because that's how Van Gaal wants to play. You know, he know he knows his defensive uh, qualities are very important. Ake and Van Dijk have them, but more important is how are they on the ball. And I think this is these these players at the back, Blind, um, Van Dijk, uh, Timber, Ake a little bit less, but he's still good on the ball. Is are so good that. That will be a good defense. So those will be the five that are going to start the tournament. I, I put all my money on it, actually. <laughs> I don't have much money, but I put all my money on it. <laughs> well, looking, obviously, I, I guess we can finish that and say, you know, looking at the entire team as a whole, I mean, what do you feel is the best, strongest lineup? You know, obviously now looking at the midfield and the attack for this Dutch side heading into the World yeah, Cup. Well, you mentioned his name already because we have Memphis, who is great, who's gonna become the the all-time top scorer he needs eight more goals to go past Robin van Persie we have Virgil van Dijk who's one of the best defenders in the world but this team is only about one man and that's Frankie de Jong so everybody in this country loves him loves his way of playing and since he's there um, since he started in the in the Dutch team they played uh, 74, 47 matches uh, internationally, 45 with Frankie. And if Frankie is not here, there are problems. And you also see if they cover Frankie good on the midfield, the Dutch team has problems. But it's all about friends, uh, Frankie. We here in this country, um, we cannot believe that, the, that, that he has difficulties at Barcelona because we see what he did with Ajax. We see what he did with the Dutch national team. He makes them so much more uh, better in qualities. They, they, I mean, the whole team is about Frankie. Um, they're going to play Belgium now without him in the in the Nations League. Uh, when we tape this, that's tonight. I don't know if, if if people are hearing this. We know the the result. We don't know it yet. And everybody is curious about how will the Dutch compete without him. And when he uh, got substituted against Poland, everybody thought, oh no, let's not let's not have a big injury because without Frankie. We won't be contenders for the final four anymore in uh, in Qatar. So it's it really it's all about Frankie. Then you have Memphis. We don't know who will play next to Frankie. Berghaus from Ajax has good chances, fantastic footballer, but also attacking footballer. We have Davy Klaassen from Ajax, who's not playing at Ajax, but always scores in the national team. And we have this new big talent, 23 years old, Cody Gakpo almost went to the Premier League, playing at PSV Eindhoven. Those will be the players on the midfield. And then up front, you have Memphis. And the other one, uh, who didn't get lots of playing time at Tottenham Hotspur, but plays fantastic at Ajax and in the Dutch team, will be uh, Bergwijn, who's also still pretty young, um, 24, always scores in the, in the national team. So those players will play. Uh, from the start, I'm, I'm almost certain, with one or two places in discussion, that's the place next to Frankie and the number 10 place behind the two strikers. Now, now Jaron, obviously this would be the final part of the interview where we talk about the predictions, and I think the predictions for the starting 11 are, are absolutely fantastic and kind of fill that uh, that question quite a bit, but I want to I want to go a little further now uh, in terms of asking what your predictions are for this team. I think we're pretty confident, uh, or at least in what we've heard, that uh, you feel that they're going to come out of the group as group winners. Um, but how far can this Dutch team go? And for me, I want to ask, uh, what would uh, what would winning the World Cup or, or making a massively deep run? I mean, they've been the bridesmaids three times. Um, yeah. <laughs> either getting back, to, either getting back to the final, or actually winning it. Um, coming out of the dark ages of uh, Dutch football, what would this mean for the team, for Louis van Gaal, and for the people of the Netherlands? Now, well, let's start with the name you you mentioned, Louis van Gaal, because um, this is his third time at the national team. He's seventy years old, uh, got lots of health problems. Everybody knows about his cancer, um, but he's doing a marvelous job. Um, with all the things he does on press conferences, always discussion about his character will also be there on Qatar. There will be press conferences that are circus with Louis van Gaal. Um, but this is his last dance. And I think if you look at the team, if you look at the team together with this coach, 
it's I haven't seen this in the history of the of the Dutch team that they're so so respectful for each other. So they love to be together. They're they're almost friends in all ways. So I think if you go to a tournament for four weeks, three four weeks, a little bit shorter than normal now in Qatar. That will be a key point to get far into this tournament. Then add the qualities we have with Van Dijk, Frankie de Jong and Memphis. If they stay healthy, uh, we we won't be in quality the best team. Maybe won't play the best football. But I think we're the one of the best groups that will go to Qatar. And then if if you have a little bit of luck uh, from the quarterfinals on, you can go far. Far. So I, I'm not putting my money on being world champion. But I think they can come to the semifinals, and then after that, you never know what happens. And then to answer your question, what will do it to this country? Well, we're traumatized a couple of times. Mm. <laughs> Last time in 2010, but also 2014 against Argentina, the penalties still a trauma. Uh, it will heal everything. So <laughs> I think this country, like every country, will, uh, yeah, will will free will feel, um, yeah. How do you call it? Solvation? I think that's mm. a good word. Yeah. Help me here, guys. Redemption. Like, redemption. Uh, if we we are world champions, finally, I think if you look at football history, we'll get what we deserve for, for once. <laughs> I totally. I, I would totally agree with you. Jaron, I want to thank you for coming on the show and joining us to preview the Netherlands as they uh, head to Qatar for 2022. All the best to them. Safe travels to you heading to Qatar as well. And we hope to have you back soon. Thanks. Thanks, guys. And special thanks to Jaron Elshoft for joining us on the show to preview Netherlands. Roberto, it's it's our prediction time now that we close with our guests. Uh, we're going to give our own predictions here. So, obviously, Group A, Qatar, Ecuador, Senegal, Netherlands. Um, we are going to pick the two uh, teams that will advance out of this group. So, um, I'm going to let you go first, my friend. Who do you think will advance out of Group A in the 2022 World Cup? I'm right on the spot, but we have to do it. We have to suck it up and make our predictions. Um yeah, I think we can all agree that this is really a tough group. It really is an open one. And, you know, I think, you know, you, you can go through history and, and really try to see if that favors the host nation. And I think Qatar, you know, they're so happy to be at this World Cup. And I think, you know, they are a good team. And we know that having seen them in a few games. Having said that, I think once they start to get into this game, into this tournament and start playing these big powerhouses with tradition, with quality players on on all ends really i think it's it, it's just going to be too much for them so i i don't see them really doing much in that one and i think they're only going to be the second ever host to not qualify to the group stages of a world cup meaning they will finish fourth in third the other team that i feel might not make it um i just think that this is a really really talented side that you know had all the chances to make previous World Cups beforehand and you know I think they can definitely be a wild card for any team but I just think that you look at the other sides that are ahead of them and you know I think they just barely miss it out and that's Ecuador Ecuador will finish in third place in this one now that leaves two teams that will indeed advance to the knockout stages Senegal and the Netherlands who I think will finish first and second I think is a tough one. I mean, these are two teams with quality players and definitely that first game against each other probably will be the t- will be the one that decides who wins the group because I think that just will have enough onto their uh, on any enough points to to get them to qualify. This is a really talented Dutch side. I, I really like this side under Van Hal. I think he's really transformed the side after not making the World Cup four years ago and and you know even with some quality players to the disposal. I think he knows what it takes to to get a team drilled into a World Cup. He did it in 2014 when they finished in third. I think he can do it again and and get this side moving forward. So I'm going to say, and credit to Aliosise and his Senegal side, I think they just finished short. So the Netherlands will win this group, Senegal in second, Ecuador in third, and Qatar in fourth. So, so for me, I, you know, going from bottom to top, um, I, I, I think there's a little bit of a change between you and I, but I think it's, it's interesting. For me, I, I really think that uh, Ecuador will finish fourth here. Um, not to reflect on how if they're poor, they're not poor. They're actually a very talented side, like we learned um, with our interview with Martin. But I, I do think that there is a, um, 
a benefit to playing at home. And I think the Qatari team will actually get that boost that many other home nations have seen when they host the World Cup. However, I do think Qatar will finish third. Um, I, I think the the quality of the Asian champions will, will come out here. And, um, and again, that first match is going to be very, very interesting. I think Qatar will probably win it, being the host, the pomp and circumstance, all the emotion that comes with that type of thing, I think will allow them to edge Ecuador in the first match and then carry them to third. Uh, I do agree with you on Senegal um, and uh, in second place, and I do agree with the Netherlands winning this group. Um, I do, th- I do think Van Van Hall is going to be the the coach that kind of has he has a stabilizing quality with this Dutch side, and we've seen them perform time and time again leading into this World Cup. Um, they they've been playing very very strong. They're on the front foot in this leading into it. And again, not to frown on Senegal. This is one of the, one of the few groups that has multiple champions, and the, we have the defending Asian champion and the defending African champion here. And Senegal, Sadio Mane, we know what he brings to the table. Extremely talented there as well. Um, but I think this uh, th- this will actually the, the top spot might actually be decided by goal differential. I can very well see a one one draw between Senegal and the Netherlands in the opening match. Um, it's kind of those pregame jitters, if you will. And then I think these two teams will dominate the other sides going forward where they think the Dutch scoring more goals than Senegal when we come out at the end of the group. So I agree top to bottom. I feel like the Dutch will win this group. I think the Senegal, uh, Senegalese will finish second. Uh, I think, I, uh, Ecuador finishes fourth just behind Qatar based on, uh, performance in this world cup. And, uh, again, no, no frowning on Ecuador or Qatar in this, um, I just believe that ultimately the, the other teams in this group are just that much stronger and, and will, uh, will, you know, the cream will rise to the top at the end of the matches. So Roberto, thank you for joining me and helping me break down group a. And again, uh, thank you to our guests, Wael Jabir, Martin Benitez, Amadi Tiam and Jaron Elshoff for joining us on the show. Again, if you've enjoyed this, please hit like and uh, subscribe to our podcast on Apple and on Spotify. Um, and you know, feel free to share this podcast with everyone and, uh, we hope you enjoyed it. So for this week in football from the makers of a little football, I am Joe Ucello. Thanks for listening and good night.